Sean Sewell, InGamer.com podcast. This is, let's call it the heavy episode. And um, I'm going to walk you through who I am, a uh, bit of my past, a lot of battles I've been through, what insight and knowledge I've gained through those battles, and um, the creation story of Engearment, Colorado Personal Fitness. And um, I think it's going to be a really insightful, inspiring, and, uh, and good episode. So it's, it's kind of bittersweet. There's definitely some, some hard things to talk about in here, but I think it's going to be really relatable to a lot of people out there. I know a lot of you are going through your own battles. We all are, actually. And as we talked with Brett Jones last time, uh, we don't always know what other people are going through. So I'm going to share with you some things I've been through, currently going through, and I think they'll, they'll be very relatable and hopefully helpful for a lot of you. I've learned a lot in this process, and I've been uh, very happy to be a resource to people as they're going through things like mental health, um, grieving, loss, um, starting new businesses, <laughs> new businesses failing, um, and learning from all these processes. So let's just jump in at the beginning. So uh, my name is Sean Sewell. Actually, it's Michael Sean Sewell. My father's name was Michael Gene Sewell. So uh, not quite a junior, but it just made more sense to go by Sean. So um, yeah, given name is Michael. I was born uh, about an hour after Christmas on 1978, so December 26, 1978, missed it by an hour. My poor mother was on in long labor on Christmas. I guess that's a good thing for her because, you know, one have a kid. And uh, born in Omaha, Nebraska. I have two siblings, a sister, three years younger than me, and a brother, six years younger than me, uh, Christy and Matthew. Matthew was born uh, what is currently called high-functioning special needs. Back then, we called it, um, this is not politically correct, but uh, mentally retarded. And um, they both had learning disabilities, later on physical disabilities, and my, both my parents were physically disabled as well. And I'll get to that in a moment. So I grew up in a household of very loving people, but physically, mentally disabled, um, morbidly obese, and hoarders. And um, I'll, I'll explain a little bit more about how they got to the hoarding and this kind of behavior, and what I've learned from it too. It's actually a very strong motivation to do what I do. So it's, it comes from that place that I do what I do now. So uh, growing up in Omaha, Nebraska, um, you know, parents were married up until the day they passed. Um, very loving family, like I mentioned. I was always interested in outdoors. My mother turned me on to the outdoors, uh, got me a campfire, teen naturalist group, groups. Uh, we would do fun things. We'd always go to museums, uh, Fontenelle Forest, Neil Woods, state parks. Uh, we didn't have a lot of money, often on food stamps. Power's often getting turned off. And um, so we made the most of the opportunities we had, which is being outside. And um, also, with my parents being hoarders, it uh, wasn't a very welcoming environment to have people over. So I really enjoyed the outdoors because you can invite people over to go camping because it's outdoors. Uh, our home, um, you know, it was, it was nice. It had a backyard. Uh, it had trees. I was always outside. On the inside... It, there was no place to sit, you know, uh, as hoarder houses often are, just full of, of junk. Uh, social services came many times. Uh, we talked them out of taking us away to someplace else. And so, um, you know, a little bit unique in that regard, childhood. But um, watching the consumption of, of stuff, 
consuming, hoarding this stuff, and then a lot of TV watch. I think there was probably eight TVs in the house. Every room had a TV. Uh, so I don't like TV very much. So I don't watch much TV. And um, what else? Uh, so uh, food-wise, just you know, my whole family was pre-diabetic, eventually diabetic. And so as soon as I could get a, a paper out, um, I did. I think it was 11 years old. And I started buying my own food, preparing my own food. And um, my siblings would get picked on quite a bit in school. And so I, I wanted to become a superhero for them. So I started lifting weights and built up an aesthetic that deterred people from picking on not only myself, but also my siblings. In that process of, of learning how to train with weights, it gave me more confidence as well. And I realized it carries over into endeavors like hiking or the ability to take on a second or a third paper out, carry more papers, make more money, buy more food, buy some guitars, learn how to play guitar, buy my first, uh, actually my first thing I bought was a Swiss army knife. I still have it. And, uh, yeah, so working more, obviously I love working. I have worked pretty much every day since I was 11 years old. So, uh, we're 31 years in Is that right. Yeah. 31. So, uh, yeah, um, work ethic in Omaha, Nebraska, you know, salty earth people, you just work hard and you treat people kindly and it served me very well in my life still, you know, just treat people kindly, work very hard. So, um, back to my family, loving, caring, wonderful family, but depressed, um, some, I would say schizophrenia, some, um, uh, a, a lot of mental illness in the family, and myself included. I, I battled depression and anxieties from a very young age. I used to get ulcers in grade school. Uh, very nervous kid. Uh, I was very embarrassed too because I couldn't have friends over. And so, um, again, uh, exercising and being outdoors were the two things that made me very happy. And they still do. It's very evident in the work we do. So, this fitness, I mean, kettlebells right there, and TRX, and and the outdoors, all the videos we shoot are outdoors, right? For outdoor gear to help you get outside as well. So um, let's fast forward quite a bit. Um, my brother being mentally disabled, I knew that it would come to me to take care of him in the future when my parents pass. So it's a pretty big burden as a kid to have that on my shoulders. And, it, you know, I felt the stress of that. And I, I um, coped with it in unhealthy ways, definitely got involved in, um, you know, bad decision-making and substance abuse and got help for that and got through that. But, um, I'm in my twenties and I've got a decent job at a law firm. I thought I'd never be inside working in a cubicle, but here I am. I've earned my way into a decent career. And, uh, but all the while I still enjoyed fitness and health and people would ask me for advice and I'd be happy to meet at the gym and like help them through. But it's just like friend, non-transactional, non-career choice, just for fun. And then I was getting ready to pick my brother up for a boys weekend. I'm going to watch some Lord of the Rings and hang out. And he had just had a gallbladder, gallbladder removal surgery. He's about 385 pounds at this moment. And all my family was in the 300 plus, probably 350 to 400 pound range. And then here I am, I was like 185 pounds at the time. And I'm, I'm 205 now. And I'm, I've been 205 for like, I don't know, 15 years now. And so my motivation is always to lead by example. Like I can't force anybody to eat well or exercise. But if I do it myself, it might inspire other people. It didn't work with my family, unfortunately. So I'm getting ready to pick him up and I get a call that he had a heart attack. He's 21 years old. 
He had a heart attack. And so I meet the chaplain. We meet the chaplain at the hospital. That's not usually a good sign. And then uh, I watch him go through a couple more cardiac arrests. And, of course, this is devastating to my mother and father. My sister is not around right now. She's in a different state. So per usual, I take on kind of a parental role with my family early on. And so I, I, I offered to be a power of attorney, make the decisions for him. And uh, this is my first time out of four times now uh, going through being the power of attorney, medical and durable, and being the caretaker for somebody. And making that tough decision, I had to sign off on the DNR, do not resuscitate, for him so uh, he could pass, um, you know, comfortably as possible. And because he was, he was brain dead, um, but he was an organ donor and he really wanted to donate. He was a very kind, kind man. And so I followed through with his wishes. And after that event, of course, it was very painful, made me reevaluate what I'm doing in my life. Do I want to work in a cubicle for somebody else, not making an impact in the world, making an impact in the business? Sure. Doing a good job. Kudos. Get a raise, but not really changing the world not really doing a whole lot outside of the cubicle in that business. So I immediately enrolled in MPTI, National Personal Training Institute. It's a nine-month program every night, like 5 to 10 p.m. for, you know, Monday through Friday for nine months. And a very immersive program, just, just health and fitness and nutrition, nothing else. No English, no math, just, well, there's probably a little bit of math, but you get the point. It's just, it's a trade school. It is this trade. And then... I graduated through there, got every certification I could find, NASM, ACE, NSCA, all the TRX, anything with kettlebells, any certification I could find. Um, I mean, that wall over there has got more freaking certificates than it anybody needs. But I like learning. I love learning. I love, I love coaching. So with his passing, it was a, a very strong motivation to change the course of my life to help other people. And that was 15 years ago. So um, left the law firm. I actually built a gym in that law firm. And up until COVID, that's where I was every day, training people. And then I built a different gym outside of there as well. And again, up until COVID, I was there every afternoon training people. Um, no complaints. I've learned to pivot and have a new business and a new gym and a new online coaching. So it's all worked out since COVID. But um, yeah, because my brother passed, it allowed me to get into... Um, into health and fitness in a big, big way. And then let's fast forward a little bit more. Um, I love gear. So that, that, that covers the fitness part, the coverall personal fitness. Gear-wise, always been a gear freak, always buying more gear than I need, writing reviews on REI and backcountry.com. In fact, my friend Dave Marcus and myself were, I believe, number one and two on reviews for backcountry.com. So they asked us to come out to Park City and meet with them and go through... Uh, like what we're doing, how they can support better. They're going to start paying us and giving us gear. And we were super excited. And then we left, came home. We're like, yes, all right, we're going to have something new to do here, a big purpose and to you know, help a lot of people. And then, of course, opportunity uh, fell through. I think they got bought out by a different conglomerate. And the person we were working with left the company the next week. And so, you know, we we're, we're a little bit... Um, down on ourselves, but we realized if it was good enough for them to contact us, then it's good enough of a thing to do. So uh, we created engearment.com, and that was, I believe, 2014. So yeah, we've been doing this for six and a half, seven years now. And um, 
So Dave and I, uh, as in Gearmit, we would just review all the stuff we currently had. And then uh, if we purchase anything new, we would do a review on it, put it up on YouTube and on Vimeo. I don't do anything on Vimeo anymore, but YouTube is the second biggest search engine, so I'm going with YouTube. And uh, we would we would just hustle and, you know, for free, do all this stuff and earn reputation as the people who would review things in the mountains and uh, start to get a bit of following. It was really fun. And then trade shows would happen, SIA, Snow Sports Industry Association, I believe. And they had that here in Denver. You had to be invited in. We pitched and we pleaded, like, let us in. We didn't have enough people on our website yet. Um, but we, we somehow snuck in. I don't remember if we actually snuck in. We might have snuck in. But we got in. And literally with our, our iPhones, and I think we even had a GoPro we borrowed, we're literally interviewing Cody Townsend. We would walk up to Patagonia, like, hey, can we get a spot? And Patagonia was super cool. Like, yeah, come on in. Here's a cup of coffee. Let's. What do you want to talk about? And um, so forth and so forth for all the brands. And what was fun about it was the interaction with the people in the outdoor industry. They're really great people. And they're still friends. And I, like now I can email Patagonia, and two days later, stuff shows up for the whole team. It's We've earned that reputation and that relationship with these companies. And I think they appreciated the grittiness, and I hate the word hustle, but like the hustle we had, like we were really hungry to to work and to prove ourselves and to earn their trust and respect and your trust and respect. That's what it's about, like integrity and building the relationship. Um, and boy, we failed so much. We constantly failed. Our audio was horrible. We didn't understand most anything, but we really wanted to create something and we learned and thank you for being patient with us through this process. So. Um, and Gearman started growing, got a few more writers, and then um, uh, Dave's an attorney, uh, and he wanted to focus more on his uh, practice. And so a couple years ago, two and a half years ago, he branched off, and I took over in Gearmit. And uh, when I did, there was quite a few writers I had in mind, and so we started building the team up from just Dave and I and Aaron Rose and Kate Agathon to now 42 or 40, I think we have 43. We met with uh, Jason yesterday great guy uh so yeah 43 riders now that's a lot of riders that's a lot of people <laughs> with really cool backgrounds providing awesome content and great points of view on how they view the outdoors and how what gear they use and how they approach it so um some more sadness another battle here we go so my sister um again kind soul she she loved our younger brother so much she went into school for special education she wanted to help his people she graduated and um i had her over for a celebratory lunch and um you know she's walking in front of me and i watch her fall to the ground and i was like did are she okay one two did she trip on something and she said no sean i i couldn't feel my legs they literally like went temporarily paralyzed that's not normal right so got her to see a doctor and they couldn't figure out what's going on and at the time i trained um a back surgeon and his his partner is a is a brain surgeon and so um again i step in as the parental unit as the caretaker i get power of attorney i pull her charts i give them to my client he gives them to his business partner and then i get a, a phone call like two minutes later john sit down got some a heavy thing to talk to you about it was a gbm glioblastoma multiform brain cancer now, brain cancer obviously is in the brain, but it also she developed a secondary cancer in her spine that affected uh, the paralysis of her legs. Did the chemo, did the radiation. It got better for like 
three days and then it came back even worse and now she's blind i literally was hanging out with her in her in her room uh, at the hospital and um she's like turn the lights back on i'm like the lights are on and so being with somebody as they're paralyzed like watching them paralyzed and then watching them go blind and then start having seizures it was rough and so you know as our caretaker as our every day and at the same time I'm going through the very first, for me, Strong First SFG certification. So um, it was nice to have that distraction to go through that uh, wonderful education. And then after the class is over, go be with her and read her books and uh, play her music and stuff like that. So as I'm, as I'm with her and I'm realizing how wonderful it is to, to be able-bodied, to walk, to see, and then also realizing that I, I wasn't able to be in front of people and in work, I had to take a lot of time off to be with her, and I was happy to do so, but I left a lot of people that I was working for, working with, hanging. So I was like, I've got to create a way to help people when I'm not in front of them. So I created the Mountain Fitness School and created a lot of online content, and then I wrote the book right here on splitboarding. Right? And so by creating these, these books, online curriculum, online schools, and online videos and then really doubling down on engagement because it was very therapeutic to me to create content helping people all around the world when I don't have to be in front of them and as she lost her sight and I really it sunk in like how important visuals are um, so I invested in better cameras uh, learned how to, sh to shoot better content so you know when I shoot these videos I want them to look and sound as good as possible so I, I know I have a very brief moment with you and I want to present it as best as possible. Um, so that's my motivation on why we create high quality, high, hopefully high quality content online for you. So she passes and then I step into the role of taking care of my folks. Um, elder care is another thing I could talk to you guys about. Uh, I almost wrote an ebook on this because it's really tricky to navigate um, elder care hospice. Uh, so I did hospice with my sister. So. If you don't know what hospice is, I'll do my best to explain it. Basically, hospice is pain management and dignity. So you can do treatment, like chemo, radiation, different kinds of procedures. And if you try that and it doesn't work, or you don't want to do that, you can go into palliative or even hospice. Hospice is you have to sign off saying you're not going to seek treatment. You're going to seek relief. So... Basically, it's comfort and dignity as you're actively passing. And that's a tough, it's a tough thing to swallow, especially for the person. So I, I, I've had to do this now three out of four times. My brother was really quick. I didn't get a chance to talk to him about it. But talking to your loved one or a family member about going into hospice, it's, uh, it's very bittersweet. It comes from a good place. You want them to not suffer. You want to offer them mercy. But then you're also understanding that the end is coming closer than you think and you're not seeking things to fight you're simply seeking things for comfort uh, and care and i think that's a beautiful thing so um now i'm caretaking for my my mother and my father and they're they're devastated they've lost two other three kids uh they've been evicted now from two more homes because again they're hoarders um and, and i've been trying to take over for them be their caretaker and they're they're very 
Martin, very proud people. They were in Mensa. Um, they were very proud. They didn't want me to step in and, and take care of them in that regard. And then it get, came to the point where my dad was in the hospital so often, and my mom couldn't drive anymore. Um, and she had a big surgery to remove all of her teeth. I took her to a dentist one day, and she comes out with now any teeth. I'm like, what is, what, what's going on here? So I realized I, I can't ask for permission. I have to step in and ask for forgiveness later. And I did. And uh, I got him situated, uh, taking care of my father while he's in a skilled nursing facility. And now I'm doing my second SFG and SFB. So uh, I have those beautiful, wonderful carrots of distraction to look forward to. But then as, as I'm leaving uh, class, um, I'm going immediately to a skilled nursing facility, checking on my father, and then taking care of my mother. Uh, and then the, another tough talk is um, if you are taking care of your parents is what to do next. When you yourself or myself can't take care of them anymore and safely at their home, assisted living comes in. So I guess another tough talk to have with your loved ones is assisted living. And so um, I found a nice facility about 10 minutes away from where my wife and I live here in Denver. And I was able to see them every day. Again, I was their power of attorney and their caretaker. So I would get them to doctor's appointments until they were not functionable physically to do that. They're both physically disabled as well. And then um, I, th I had thought for a moment, I had things were lined up. They were in a good place. They were happy. They were making friends and socializing. And then my father was like, I have this horrible back pain. And I take him into the hospital to get checked out stage four pancreatic cancer that's about the crappiest cancer you can get brain cancer horrible my sister lasted almost six months going through that and fighting it pancreatic cancer it's just horrible my father was in the hospital again they were not giving us any answers so i used my power of attorney pull the charts go back to that person i did before and like yeah it's pancreatic cancer make arrangements immediately I uh, got him into hospice, and two days later, he passed. So two weeks from diagnosis to passing. And I'm glad it was quick, because he was in a miserable situation, a lot of pain. And then um, uh, transitioned my mother into a different room in assisted living. And now it's my mother and I, for the first time ever. It's just her and I, and um, she's able-bodied enough. I can take her to farmer's markets. I took her to Rocky Mountain National Park. Um, nice drives, and we catch up and talk. And then a few months later, um, you know, I'm like, okay, this is this is nice. It's sad. We've lost almost a whole family, but I have my mother still, and I get to see her pretty often. And then she's like, Sean, I have really bad back pain. We go to the same hospital, one room over, same diagnosis, stage four pancreatic cancer. Oh, that sucked to get that news. So I had about two more weeks with her, and in fact, uh, it's May 22nd I'm recording this. She passed away two years ago. And so... Again, I didn't walk you through all that painful sharing just to, to leave you there. There is some, some light. All this darkness that I'm sharing with you has allowed me to see even more light and have more empathy and more ability to feel and take in life. So uh, it probably doesn't make sense unless you've been through this. So what I've learned through this process here now is to make every connection in life count from your best friend to a complete stranger just treat them with love and compassion and empathy and never assume that you know what they're going through unless they tell you like i'm telling you right now and um it can be a really beautiful way to approach the world and less transactional i know a lot of you work 
for a living, for money, and um, transaction is how it operates. But what I've really found, I've done that for 20 years plus. I've been doing this for 15 years. And what I've learned here is um, when you do things purely for the joy of it, to serve other people, amazing things happen in return. And not immediately, sometimes years later, uh, I, I'm having a hard time putting into words, to be honest, but it's a beautiful thing. And if you know, you know. So just do the right thing and look out for each other out there and and just try and put yourself in other people's shoes before you are quick to assume, especially if you're going to judge. Please don't judge. You don't know what other people are going through. Yeah. So, um, and what I've learned from all this process is it's incredibly strong motivation to, to keep learning, to keep helping and serving, and to keep creating these, the content that I share with you guys. I love getting feedback that people um, watch the videos or read the reviews, learn something new, perhaps get that gear they saw. It allows them to go outside and do that amazing thing, oftentimes with their friends and family. And when people share that with me, that's my success. That's what motivates me to do this more. And with the fitness um, business, when I see people, their posture change, they come in and they're like, I had to get a new belt. And because we don't train just for aesthetics, we don't train at all for aesthetics. It's just a nice byproduct. We just train for good movement and we smile a lot and we laugh a lot. And everybody I work with does things outside. And that's what it's about. Um, living with purpose, having a good community, uh, movement often, and being kind to each other. I think that's pretty much sums it up. Hopefully that was um, insightful. Hopefully it's inspiring to, to know that you can go through these processes of losing loved ones. There's a lot to gain from it, a lot to be grateful for. And hopefully they gave you some context on more of who I am and why I'm so adamant about health, mental health, fitness, wellness, and the outdoors. So when I speak to you about these things, it comes from a very authentic place and is as close to my heart as possible. And I believe that shows, but hopefully now you know. Uh, if you listen this far, I love you for listening. And until um, next time, take care.